Hi all, this is an episode of Candid with Lubna Farhan and today's episode is where I've given the opportunity to members of the general public to come and talk about what they would like to talk about. So we have Asma joining us, who I believe is going to be talking about her experience of domestic abuse and how she moved on. Asma, welcome to my show. Hi Lubna, thank you for having me. I'm yes. really grateful. Thank you. So I'm just literally going to hand it over to you. Um, so it's great that you've um, you know, had the courage to come on because I think it can be like a difficult topic and a taboo one. And a lot of people, unfortunately, when they hear the word domestic abuse or sexual abuse or anything like that, they yes. automatically think, do you know, they don't want to hear it. They want to look away. I think they think it's going to somehow impact them. And it is a taboo subject. Like, and I've experienced this with my first episode that I released um, where um, the special guest that came on um, she spoke about her experience of domestic abuse and I spoke about my experience of domestic abuse and people all of a sudden got scared of this whole topic. And, and I think they're starting to think that my podcast is just about this and it's not, it's about everything and talking about it candidly. And I think one person, even before you start, um, even mentioned to me, uh, uh, oh, you know, maybe people have a problem because they, you're, they don't think celebrities are counsellors. This isn't a counselling podcast. This is people coming who have probably potentially overcome a lot of the things and they're coming to raise awareness. So just before you start, this is making that part clear. This isn't some depressing podcast where people are just talking about problems. No, of course they're going to talk about problems, but this is also about how they've overcome them. You know, yes. I never said I'm some kind of counsellor. This is about talking about issues openly and all types of issues. Um, so, so whoever's listening, bear that in mind and please don't be scared and run away because this is about moving on um and Absolutely. unfortunately we have to listen to the hard stuff as well it's not just about oh, listening to positive stuff of course my podcast is positive but it's like a flower blossoming from ashes kind of thing you know what i mean anyways yes. i'll pass it on to you i just get really passionate because it gets annoying for me when people just are so ignorant but i'll pass Absolutely. it on to you now. hi um so i'm asma and i'm british bangladeshi um i have a law degree um mm -hmm. i've been my background is working in corporate banking. Um, I got married in 2012. Hmm. To, so I'm British, Bangladeshi, and he is Bangladeshi. He's not British. Uh, but my parents, especially my dad, had this belief that it's better for me to marry someone that is from Bangladesh rather than a British-born uh, boy, man, because hmm. he's just always had this idea in his head. I don't know why. Anyway, so I got married to him in 2012. And... The abuse, the so the domestic abuse started pretty much from the moment we were engaged. Um, so it started with coercive control. So domestic abuse is different types of uh, abuse, things like physical abuse, obviously everyone knows about. There's mental abuse, there's sexual abuse, there's financial abuse, there's coercive control. Uh, forced marriages, honor-based violence comes under that as well. There's child abuse as well, obviously. Mm. Um, there's uh, spiritual abuse as well. Um, and I think I've pretty much touched on a few of them, not um, on a base violence. Well, a little bit of on a base violence, but not forced marriage. Hmm. Um, um, so the cause of control started just after we got engaged. So it was a much, it was, um, he'd say to me, he's allowing me to go and see my friends. Uh, but when I would, and I've always had this from my dad and my mom that, you know, as long as you uh, behave modestly, you can go out with whoever you want, whether it's a mm. boy or a girl as friends. So they've always let me go out with my friends. I've just told them I'm going out. I've always worked since I was 16 because my dad was ill. Um, so I've had that kind of life where I've never really had to ask permission because I was always, you know, um, doing what I wanted to do, going out to work and going out with my friends. So when he said, I'm, I'm allowing you to go out with your friends, I found it a little bit strange. 
but in a way I thought oh it's nice that someone cares about me someone's been very loving yeah That's you try being positive don't you yeah you do um and it was nice thinking oh right he cares about me you know this my prince charming um someone that's really been protective but when i started going out with my friends um, then what he would do is at that point he'd constantly keep calling me uh keep calling me keep texting me um and then eventually i'd see the calls because i'd take it out of my bag and then i'd ring him and he would be like oh so when are you coming when are you going home what are you doing who are you with take mm. some pictures send me some pictures um i found that a little bit strange because I found that I was repeating myself who I'm with and uh, I found it a bit strange that I'm going to have to take pictures just to prove to him who yeah. I'm going out with and things like that and because we're having a nice conversation say for example in Starbucks and it's a bit weird if I say oh can we just take a picture and everyone's like really comfortable but you know I did it and everyone did look at me but they thought oh and I thought it was just cute he just wants to see who I'm out with mm. then it was a matter of well what are you wearing why are you wearing that and then after a few outings and him keep bothering me and if I wouldn't answer, he'd keep pestering my mum. Mm. So it eventually I stopped going out with my friends uh, because it was just easier, because it was too stressful. Um, and then um, other things would happen is he'd ask me, uh, when we get married, mm. then am I going to be contributing towards bills uh, because I earn a lot more than him? Um, am I going to be contributing towards bills? Can, can I pause it here? So, what, what, in terms of like, what, so he's in Bangladesh at the moment, right? So no, he's in the UK now. Um, he was on a... No, uh, as in, as in um, sorry, when you got engaged, where was he? Is all this conversation he, that's happening, he's in Bangladesh or UK at the moment? He was in the UK. He was yeah. on a, um, he came into this country as a, a work visa. Oh, so he was already here and you got engaged over here and everything's yes. happening. He's renting somewhere and you're, okay, sorry. Yeah, I'll let you continue just to get yeah. that. Yeah, he was working at his brother-in-law's takeaway in Wales and I'm in uh, Rochdale, Greater Manchester. So, um... Okay, um, I've forgotten which bit. Sorry, I'm, I'm so sorry. You were saying that he would message your mum as well? Yeah, so he would call my mum, he would message my mum. Uh, I mean, he'd call my mum and message my sister. And it was just easier not to go out, um, basically, because it just got really stressful. Um, and then um, I'd stay home. So my friends would ask me, why you're not coming out? Just because you're getting married doesn't mean you shouldn't be coming out. Hmm. And I'd make excuses that, oh, I need to save and I was, um, I could, now looking back, I can see myself being depressed, kind of. Like, I wasn't, obviously, slowly, he was play, uh, taking away, playing at my identity, you know, yeah. like, person I am. And you mentioned, sorry, and sorry, this is the part which um, I cut you off before. You mentioned that he was talking about the bills and who's going to pay how much? Yes, so he started asking me things like, am I going to contribute towards the bills? How mm. much do I earn? And um, how much am I saving for the wedding? Um, he wanted to know these questions. And I would say, look, when the time comes, of course I will. Mm. Why are we discussing these things now? Because I, you know, I help my family at the moment. So he was saying to me, yeah, that's fine. You can help your family when we get married. And then it started on the wedding day. Um, so, no. A week before the wedding, hmm. I basically told him I'm cancelling the wedding. Um, and that was a big decision for me, to be honest, because probably a month before I realised this is not right. Something's, hmm. you know, like I had a weird feeling inside that this is not right. Hmm. I felt quite suffocated and I was being con uh, watched at all the time. If it wasn't him, his sisters were calling me. And we're his engaged. His sisters were calling you? Yes. To say what? To ask you how you are? No, to ask me if I've, um, you know, how, mu how much have I saved and have I got the job in Birmingham when I move to where he's going to live. And where were his sisters? Were they in, um, in Bangladesh or where were they? 
So the sisters, uh, he's got seven sisters, um, and basically uh, five of them are married. They came from Bangladesh into this country by marrying someone in this country. So they're okay. in this country in the UK. And two of them are in America, married there. Um, and then he's got an older brother who also got married to someone from here. And he came from Bangladesh and they live in Birmingham. Okay. And um, so they would always ring me to watch what I'm doing and tell me, uh, ask me to how much have I saved and am I going to save and how much money am I getting? And I need to move to where his brother lives or where his sister lives in Wales, mm. his older sister. I can't stay in the job I am in Manchester. He goes, so they basically said to me that if I stay and I don't look for a job and I stay in Manchester, that we can get married, but he isn't going to move. Basically, the South Asian community, they call that like uh, Gurjamai. So he's not going to be a son-in-law that's going to live at his wife's parents' house. Mm. And I never said that was going to happen anyway. Yeah. And I did say to him in the beginning that I want to keep my job and stay in Manchester, but we would get our own place. Mm. So a month before I felt, I was feeling suffocated because they were starting to control things like, I want to, I bought my uh, jewellery for the wedding day that I wanted to wear with my outfit. And it's always been my dream. And suddenly they were telling me that um, they rang me up and then the sister said, you can't buy that jewellery set because uh, we have to have an input in that. So I was like, I've just spent a whole day going around uh, shopping on my own and mm. I've been ringing my mom, sending pictures to my mom. Uh, it was in Birmingham um, and uh, to buy the set. And it's been my dream and my mom's dream. And they said, we don't care, you know, we, we've let you do whatever you wanted so far, but now we're going to have a say in this. So I was a bit shaken. Yeah. So I rang, I rang him and I said to him, I'm not liking what your sisters just said to me, hmm. expecting him to kind of support me. But he said, oh, I don't know. You're going to have to talk to my sister. She's the one that knows everything. Can, can, I, can I ask, where, where are his parents and all of this at the moment? Are they, have they passed away? Where are they? You haven't mentioned them yet. I'm sorry. So the mother, uh, mother-in-law lives in America now, but at that time she was in Bangladesh. Uh, mm. The father-in-law was in Bangladesh at that time. Now he is no more. Um, so they weren't here in the UK. So basically his sister and his brother had all the, uh, you know, say, basically okay. they were acting as his parents. They were acting and they probably don't, like the, his parents probably didn't understand English, I'm assuming. So that's why they, no. they wouldn't be able to communicate with you anyway. So they were using or they were using or they were doing themselves, the girls. Um, the sisters were, yeah, they were taking it upon themselves to be the leader basically the leader and I'll tell you about that in a moment as okay. well suddenly the roles switch when they want so um, and he said no you have to uh, you have to discuss it with my sister I don't have any say in this so I got really upset so it started from there really and then a week before what he would do so he yeah that's another thing they do perpetrators he took um all my passwords for all my social media my email uh my iCloud me being an idiot at the time I was a, a you know you don't think straight because the way they play with you and uh pull you in and trap you in you just I believe that he was being this loving uh future husband that you know is just really caring and I have nothing to hide and I can I ask you? Can I ask you a question? Um, I don't mean to cut you off. So obviously, so you're giving your passwords. You're showing, you basically you're obviously you've got nothing to hide, like you've said. So you're giving your passwords. There's there's nothing to hide. Can I ask you? Um, you did you have any relationships before? Did I have any relationships before? before. Uh, yes, I had one relationship, mm -hmm. and he does know about that. 
um, and that was when we were at uni and um, the only reason that didn't happen for marriage uh, purposes is that he's Indian he was Indian Muslim and obviously I'm Bangladeshi Muslim so both our parents were not happy well both our dads really were not happy with that and I think more so for his dad was I'm dark skinned as well. Maybe mm. I, we could have got away with it, you know, far off when you look at us too, because I'm fair skinned, you don't have to explain, but it's a bit obvious when I'm brown. That, okay, so know, he wasn't, he wasn't as dark as you? No. He, that was an he, issue as well? That was an issue as well. No, okay. he was a dark, he was Indian Muslim fair, and this perpetrator that I married also was fair, Bangladeshi, um, and this okay. is how I look, and he you was fine with it. You know, I will, let's touch on this part before, uh, during this as well, because um, that's actually interesting as well. Um, for me, the reason I asked about relationships is because I think with a lot of the girls who are Muslim, like us brought up here, um, people assume, oh, we're British, so we probably have like millions of boyfriends and we're doing all these do dodgy yeah. things. But the reality is we, we are like, you know, we don't, um, and it, there's nothing wrong with having a relationship, but I'm saying like lots of relationships, yeah. you know, like, like it is common in the Caucasian culture to have multiple, you know, relationships in your life. Yeah. We don't have that. So we don't have the benefit of actually gaining that experience. So no. in our naivety, we do trust. And because we, we're not like that ourselves, you, 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 it's like, what's the word? Um, you think of others, how you are yourself. So yes. you've got nothing to hide. So you thought there's nothing to hide. So you gave your information. Exactly. Plus you didn't have a really bad experience with your previous relationship exactly. either. And plus there's he was no, born here, I guess. No, there was no, my previous relationship, no, there was no bad. It was just our parents didn't agree. Uh, Alhamdulillah, you know, it was perfect. Um, the relationship we had, we had an understanding, you know, we knew each other for a long time at uni. There's a group of us friends. So we got to know each other a lot. And obviously he spoke English, I spoke English. So we understood each other very, very well. Um, and so it was a different kind of relationship. So with him, my perpetrator, I did tell him because uh, when I met my perpetrator, I was 29 or 28 even. And he did ask me, how come you haven't got married yet? So I did tell him the truth because for me, I don't, I don't need to lie. So I did, and my parents know, and there's no need for me to lie. So I was telling him the truth that the reason uh i've waited this long is because you know i wanted i was with this person i wanted to marry him it didn't work out and then i wasn't ready to marry anyone else so i left it for a long time but i was getting a lot of pressure from my dad and mum because i'm the eldest of the four siblings so it was um when you know get married, you're the get eldest married. you were the eldest yes okay and he is actually the uh second to the youngest out of all his siblings okay. and i think that's a mistake as well because we have both have different thoughts about yeah, hi, uh, family yes. and managing a family. And yeah. um, so I told him the truth about my previous relationship. And I told him that, you know, it's not gone ahead of my family, no. Hmm. So he would stay up. So he had all my passwords to my emails and Facebook. And yeah, that's all I used to use on Instagram, everything. Hmm. What he would do is he would spend time for some weird reason in the nighttime while I'm sleeping because he worked in a takeout. So he yeah. would work in the evening till mi uh, midnight. Mm. I worked in the bank, so I'm working normal nine to five, Monday to Friday. So I would sleep uh, at 10 o'clock onwards and he would still be awake. And I don't know why. And he start, he would look through all my emails. I don't know up until when and through my Facebook messages and everything. And um, then he just picked a fight a week before the wedding saying, oh, um, there was something with this guy. You did get engaged to him. And I was like, your previous talking? relationship Who's talking about that. Yeah. Okay. Because you did, you did get engaged to him, but you're telling me something else. And I said, no, I didn't. And I never can, I, can, can I ask how old was the, is, was the perpetrator at the time? So you were 29 at the time. How old was he? 
So he said he was the same age as me. Okay. But I found out now he's actually about two, three years younger than me. Okay. Okay. So he lied about his age, so same age. Okay. Um, and yeah, so he said... fight with you, okay. Yeah. So he lied to me about... Uh, so he said to me that I, I got engaged to this other person. And I was like, I think I'd know about it if I got engaged to this other person. And I would tell you the truth, yeah. you know. And uh, my parents would know about it. Um, I'm not that kind of person uh, mm. to do something. So anyway, he, he started saying that I've been having an affair and all this stuff. And he was just going, and I, first of all, I said to him, hang on, why were you looking through these messages? First of all, there's no messages anyway, but why were you looking through these messages? And secondly, I have told you about my previous relationship. Hmm. Uh, and I don't understand why you've just gone and done that. And when I questioned him, he just changed and he was like, right, that's it. I'm going to tell everyone. I have to tell everyone. I'm going to tell your family and your relatives. Um, I put the phone down. I said, look, you know, because I know I'm not doing anything wrong. So I said, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. I don't want to marry you. I've had enough. And then I put the phone down and I told, and I switched my phones off. And mm. I told, and uh, yeah, so he came to my workplace the next day uh, and he was quite abusive and aggressive. Uh, what, in front of the staff? You no, behind the, he was behind the building waiting for me. Uh, did you know that he's waiting? Did he tell you that he's coming or did he just turn up? He just turned up. Because obviously my phone is switched off. Uh, and he rang my mum as well and she was panicking she didn't know this was going on and he rang my mum saying look what she's done she's telling me that she's not going to marry me but mum he called my mum mum at the time and uh, anyway so he came and he was quite abusive uh, he pushed me and everything like that and somehow managed to make me agree to him so he'd go away then I went to mm. my mum and told her and she just said look you have to get married and we paid for this hall like thousands of pounds uh, we, and I'm the eldest so my dad had told all the community and in the South Asian community it's all pressure. about honour, pressure, honour, dignity and the daughter they always say the daughter holds the honour of the family so I thought okay maybe this is just a bit of a small issue that's happened yeah. so the wedding happened a week later it went ahead on the wedding day, hmm. I'm waiting there as a bride in the bride room. And as far as I know, they should have arrived by now. But later I found out he's not there. It's been two hours and they hadn't arrived. They were two hours late. My dad was my dad was calling all his sisters, his brothers. No one was answering. Then they came two hours later. And by then, I think my dad and my uncles had had enough, basically. Hmm. And um, when they came, they were nice and polite to them, but apparently they weren't treated like royalty. They wanted to be treated like royal, like a prince is attending. Yeah, because it's a guy's family is coming. Yes. Yes, Sorry. because it's a guy. Yeah, it's true. It's a guy's family that's coming. It's the king. Respect, that give respect and get give respect. respect. Everyone bow down, kind of that kind of... Um, Sorry, this, this is to the, guy, to the people's family who think that they... Oh my God, sorry, my hands aren't even manicured. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but yeah, this, this is, I'll do this. This is to people who think that they are from the guy's family, so they deserve respect. Thank you. Carry yes. on. Sorry, I get really emotional. I'm really fucking pissed off. Apologies to people under, who are underage listening to this. But you know what? You need to listen to this too. So yeah, yeah carry on. Yeah, because um, uh, really, religiously, a wedding, is not so, that's not the belief. Men and women are, are equal. But mm. the cultural belief and the belief that they have from Bangladesh. So um, obviously, my uncle apparently like tried to um, like say to them, "Look, it's okay, don't worry." You know, he's a bit stressed. You came late. He was trying to talk them around, but his brother-in-law had threatened my dad that they're gonna walk off without getting me married to him, which is gonna uh, make my dad react to that because he could get married to whoever he wants if he walks away from that um, door. 
but obviously everyone would have known that was my wedding day I was waiting for him and I didn't get married so mm. I would have been embarrassed and defamed really and I'm you know ashamed and they knew yeah. my dad's not gonna let them go so can I um, pause you there for the people listening and if there are girls in a similar situation, if something doesn't feel right, it's probably because it isn't. And don't be afraid to walk away because I know that in your little community of 100, 200 people that you know, you think you're going to be defamed. But in the grand scheme of things, there's more than seven, eight, nine billion. I don't know how many billion people there are now on the planet. The world is massive. You can relocate. There's millions of people. You'll make new friends. You'll make a circle. Don't think about the 200 people that you know because they don't give a sh A lot of them probably don't give a shit about you anyway. They don't care, and they're just going to sit there talking shit anyway. Whether you're happy after marriage or not happy, they're going to yes. talk shit anyway. If you, you, if you, if it doesn't feel right, tell the world to fuck off, yes. and and don't do it. Sorry, I'll let you yes. continue now. Yes, because I didn't know this was happening on that wedding day. I was told after we done our vows. If I were told, that's the worst thing. Oh yes. my god, I, I would have said before. something else. I would not have agreed to the uh, wedding, but because. I was in this room, hidden away. I had no idea this was going on. Yeah. And that's um, the worst thing when you find something out that would have made made it or, or broke it kind of thing, you know, make it break it yes. kind of thing. That um that yeah, oh that okay, okay. So you found out later. How later did you find it? On the day? I found out on the day when I was leaving with him in the car, which is okay. a, there's no point telling me at this point because Who told I'm, you? Who told me? You know what? It's all a blur in that sense because as a bride, you just, you know, you're not. In uh, a way, you shouldn't have been told because in a way that if either they, you should have been told before, but while you were sitting in the car, what, who, who, um, it's probably someone from your front side of the family. They shouldn't have told you then because you're going, there's nothing you can do. I think that is the worst thing as well with Asian culture is a lot of families do do this to the girls as well. You know, indirect, like you know, they don't mean to, but what don't if, if something bad has happened either tell them before or don't yeah. don't tell your daughters when they, they they're in a position where they can't really they're not supposed to be talking much How, what did they expect me to do well, exactly, exactly like i was emotional crying and next minute uh, all i know is this has all happened but mm. i've said my vows and so um basically mm. yeah so that happened and i was in the car with him and i remember having tried to have a well actually before that even, uh, what happened was his sister came into the room to see me, him and his sisters. Yeah. I had short sleeves on and normally I wear like a hijab, but they told me that I can't wear hijab on all my uh, wedding uh, day days. I have to show my hair with my putta. So I had to listen to them, but I didn't feel comfortable. And I had short sleeves on. Um, obviously, I would have covered when I'm coming out. His sisters were pulling my scarf, telling me to change my outfit, the way I put my foot down and everything. And um, I was thinking, oh my God, this is really stressing me out. So I told him on stage uh, quietly because it was really annoying me. And he said mm. to me, don't worry, we'll sort it out. He was like smiling because everyone's watching us. We're on stage. At camera. The yes, camera. So photographs, he, you know. Let's smile and show that we're happy. And he said to me, don't worry, you know, when, uh, when we go, we'll, we'll, I'll talk to them. We're in the car and then someone obviously told me that that's happened hmm. and I started crying again and I said to him what's going on why is your family behaving like this and he said to me don't worry we'll discuss it they shouldn't be like this with you got to Birmingham to his brother's house and uh, my friends attended from all the way from Manchester to the, the his brother's house where we went to and uh, we had to apparently take professional pictures so we were taken away and my friends were still there I come down and my friends no my friends went to the room I was in 
and they said to me your sister-in-law is a bit weird she just said to us that um you know you would have had to move here and you would have had to leave your job um but we didn't even talk about anything like that with them um and then they were acting weird like they've got no food to give us but they're gonna go and make it for us now and i was like this is a wedding house so anyway i was just thinking maybe they just don't know what they're talking about because i was quite it was a blur for me because you know as a bride you just have other things that Mind adrenaline you know it's your wedding day you've got adrenaline there's millions of things happening and that's the thing and and do you know what? during weddings things do happen that don't go perfectly wrong so you don't yeah. know where someone's just maybe it's a small thing or maybe it's a massive thing you don't know you kind of there's no time to reflect too much i there's guess no time to reflect yeah because you you know and um so but that is another thing that they were doing is isolation they were trying to alienate my friends from me and they me were trying to tell friends. them there's no point of keeping contact with her because she's going to yes. be busy in her own life in this new location and so where were you yes. living now so you came to his brother's house Birmingham and were you is that where you were given a room to live or you were rent you guys were going to rent or no we we were just uh, for a few days staying there till we got our own rented place in Birmingham he was originally living in Wales with his sister so mm. he didn't have a place so we had to go to his brother's house. So I did ask for a hotel, uh, but him, he said, and his family said that that's not a good idea and it's not good to spend that money. And what are people going to say? But nowadays I know brides and grooms do actually end up going to a hotel just to have that privacy and yeah. you know, they're allowed to, but it was what it was. Um, so that start, all that happened. And then we moved into our own place. And before that, sorry, on the wedding night, his sister-in-law came into the room and said to me that, um, that I've got to give him what he wants. Um, I've got to keep him happy and make him happy. Who said that? His sister-in-law. His sister-in-law? Yeah. So his, his brother's, brother's wife. wife? Yes. Was she uh, British born or was she, what was her background? No, she was born in Bangladesh, but she did move to the UK, which was quite small. So she is British, uh, but she's always gone back and forth to Bangladesh and here, whereas I've never really been to Bangladesh. I've always been in the UK. Can I ask you a question? So when she was talking about how you should basically keep him sexually happy, yes. Yes. did she, did she, did anyone um, ask you for proof of your virginity? Um, so they didn't physic um, ask me verbally, but what he did is he had a uh, white bed sheets, white bed covers and things. And were they um, checked? Um, I don't know about that bit. Okay. So I don't know about that bit. And the reason you know, I mentioned this is because um, this is common as well, where for people who aren't listening, and when I say common, not common with the educated people, it's common with the people who are quite narrow-minded and all of that kind of stuff, where I've heard of this as well where people kind of want confirmation of virginity, you know, and either the sister will come and ask and, and want to see proof, which is the most yeah. ridiculous fucking thing. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to keep swearing during this because it's really pissing me off. This is the most ridiculous thing. Where's the proof that the male is a virgin? You know what exactly. I mean? I don't want fucking AIDS, do I? From someone who's sexually active with God knows how many people and prostitutes. But, oh, that, oh, that doesn't matter. But, you know, if I'm a woman, I need to fucking show proof. Fuck you. Sorry, I'll yeah. let you continue again. No, don't be sorry. This topic really pisses me off because... <laughs> don't because be sorry. It pisses me off because there's so many things. It's not just one thing. It's not about just domestic abuse or all of that. There's so many little things that aren't little things, they're massive things and all this pressure and on women. To all the girls. Although it happens to lots of girls, but sometimes they don't even realise this is not normal. Like one of my yeah. friends told me, she was checked. Like she said she's on her period and they actually took her to the bathroom, the sister-in-law, took her to the bathroom to check 
So it happened to my friend this. This is years ago. How did they check what physically physical physically, examination? Physically, like, got her to check to check that she's got pads on. This is years ago. This is when I was like probably in college. She got married. She was forced married to this guy, and uh, she told me this. So it does things like was that. Was he British? Ha- was the were friends? Uh, no, he was he was from Bangladesh as well. She's British. Okay, fine. Okay, so but now just talking about you again. Um. So okay, so this has happened now. She no, came no, and she no. said you need to keep him sexually satisfied, and then what happened? Basically, I need to basically if he wants it, I need to give it to him. Yeah. Um. That that's my role, and that when I pray, um, that we have to pray together. That I have before I do that, I've got to touch his feet because he's supposed to be what? above me. But um, we're not we're not Hindus though. Hindus no. do that. Exactly. Where does the touching feet come in? I've never heard of that. That's yeah, it's a, it's a cultural belief that your husband is someone that you have to, for the first time or whenever, touch when you, feet. Is that in Bangladesh you're saying cultural belief? Bangladesh, yes. And I've never heard of that. I thought, Hindu, I thought Hindus do, this whole, do the whole touching the feet thing. It's not, I don't realise it. It's not in Islam at all. No, it's not in Islam at all. It's not. And this is a discussion we did have before we got married uh, mm. because usually in the Bangladeshi culture, the pa- uh, they expect the bride to touch the parents' in-laws' feet and the groom to touch the uh, in-laws' feet. And we had discussed that that wasn't going to happen. Um, however, it started there where his sister-in-law said, I have to touch his feet. And then a year later, I went to Bangladesh with him because his dad passed away and I was made to touch everyone's feet that was older than me in the village. Uh, and that's something my mum does taunt me about now because um, it is what it is, but there you go. Uh, because my mom, uh, is a, she just believes that I should just go back and just live through it all and just like bring my son up. However, that's just her belief, unfortunately. Well, your uh, mum? Yeah. What, so, what, your mum wants you to go back to that guy? Yeah. Are you divorced at the moment? Yes, my divorce has come through, so I am divorced. When you say it has come through, is it Islamic divorce or the English divorce? Or both? The English divorce. So has your Islamic divorce happened? So the Islamic, um, apparently, it also um, um, is uh, if the English one uh, is um, what do you call it? If you're accepted. divorced, accepted, then the Islamic one also cancels out. Okay, fine. Okay, but your mum, because it, in her eyes, the Islamic one hasn't really happened. She still thinks there's a way that you should go back. Yeah, in her head. How long has it been that you've been divorced? Um, so it's divorced it would be about three four weeks but i've been separated i fled two years ago two and a half years ago you fled two years ago okay cool i'm just conscious of the time um so okay so you've gone bangladesh so what happened after that so um okay so just before the bangladesh the physical abuse started pretty much after we had our english registry that's when the physical abuse started and then um it was things like you know uh you need to yeah, physical abuse, mental abuse started. So he said that, you know, I don't dress well and um, I'm not dressing nicely and I should have been, you know, I, I'm ugly and um, I'm thick, I'm stupid, I don't know how to cook and all this stuff. Um, and physical abuse happened if I would answer him back or say to him, please, like, you know, I need mm. to have a lie, lie down. Um, so that was the physical and mental abuse. And then financial was, you know, give me a bank card, uh, things like pin numbers. He wanted all that. He wanted to see where my salary was going. He believed I was giving all my money to my family, even after I got married. And I assured mm. him day one that wasn't going to happen. And my dad, you know, stopped the wedding day happened and there was never me giving any money to my family at all. Mm. But he, he told his family that I was giving my money to all of my family. 
his dad passed away in 2013 and then uh, his sisters all said that we should go to Bangladesh. Uh, my dad wasn't happy about this, um, but it is what it is. We went, they booked for tickets and I was going with him and um, I told work that I'm going for a few weeks, but eventually it became longer than that. Okay. Uh, so I went to Bangladesh, um, never been there before. So I had, my phone wasn't working. We were in a village. Um, and I had no control or authority over anything. I couldn't speak. I don't know anyone. Um, so I couldn't have asked for help. So do you understand the language? Do you, can you speak Bangladesh? Yeah, you, you can speak. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a presenter now in a radio, um, as a, doing a Bangladesh show. So I can speak Bengali. Um, but obviously I don't know how the authorities work there and law and things like that. Um, so yeah, the, his relatives would come. And they would be like, oh, why do, does her eyes look like that? Because my eyes are bigger. He's, they, all his family's eyes are small. Mm. So, they would be, so they'd say, why is her eyes like that? She looks weird. Why is her hair like that? And uh, why have you married her? Like, because I'm dark and he's really fair. And then I used to always have to be in the kitchen from early morning namaz, sun, sunrise namaz time till the afternoon in the kitchen. And if I wasn't, then he would have a go at me. And he didn't even bother coming near me all the time that I was in Bangladesh. Mm. And um, his thing was, well, my mom knows where I'm going, so you don't need to know. Um, so when I came back on my own to the UK, I was very depressed. Like, um, I shut myself off from everyone. Yeah, because your self-esteem is, you know, in a way attacked, doesn't it? It makes you question. Yeah. When Everything. It, yeah, my independence. Who you are, you're, yeah. you're, you know, you, the person that you are in the UK, all of that makes you you is different when you're in a different country and with different people who are making you feel really bad about yourself. Yeah, and constantly, constantly, constantly. So when I came back to the UK on my own for two days, I shut myself off from, off from everyone. Um, and then I had to go get counselling from a South Asian family counselling. Um, and I told them everything that happened who to me. Who recommended that counselling? My GP. Um, he was from, he was Bangladeshi as well. However, when I fled and I needed medical re records to prove all this, he didn't write any of this down. So, so can I, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. So just, um, just conscious of the time. So Lee, so can we now, um, talk about the issue surrounding you, the circumstances surrounding you, like, you know, you fled. So what was the circumstances yeah. surrounding lead, the lead up to that and how, how happened, what happened? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. So yeah, so I, I was, I was uh, so I was uh, depressed. I was going through counseling. Then he came to the UK eventually with his mom. And then he said to me that I need to stop taking counseling and stop taking medication because I was putting weight on. Um, I had to go back into a job. Um, so I looked for another job and then, um, my, then we had a massive fight and he involved all this family and stuff. And his family said, um, I have to touch his feet and apologize to all his family when it wasn't even my fault. And my, my dad said to me, no, you don't need to do that. Um, and that's when I wanted to leave him. This is 2015. And you've had a son. You're, you, you're, you've already. Before the son, this is just yeah. before the son. It was that year before my son was conceived. And he said to me, I'm really sorry. I'm going to make this work. And, you know, I'll prove to you that I can be better. How many years of marriage are we talking about now? How many years have you been married now up until this six point? Years. Six years. Ma six years. Oh, so you didn't have any children in the six years? No. No, so no, sorry, three years. Uh, three years it was. Three years, I think. Oh, God. Two years even. I think it was two years we were married for. And then, um, anyway, I forgave him. I was going to leave him, but he didn't let me. So I forgave him. And then we you know, had my little boy. Um, and then um, after that is when I, when I was pregnant, he, didn't, mm. he basically said he wanted me to abort the baby. He didn't want me to have the baby. Mm. Um, he left me for until Adil was born, which is about uh, just before Adil was born. And he came back uh, to me. 
Um, but in that time that he left me when I was pregnant, working, um, he would constantly ring me for money. So I had lots of panic attacks. I was going through depression. Um, and then he would tell, and then he came back and then uh, we ha I had Adil. And he was just 20 times worse. It was like as if, yeah, now you, you've got this child and you're at home all the time. I'm going to like make your life hell. And yes, so can, I, can, I, can I ask you, um, so before your child was conceived, he was... You guys had an argument. You forgave him. You went back. You conceived your child. During pregnancy, how was he? Uh, during pregnancy, he was uh, torturing me mentally and financially, and he did physically abuse me as well. While you were pregnant? Yeah. When And what type of... Was it like... With you know, and obviously for the people listening, I don't mean to go too graphically. Was it like a slap, or was it like proper, you know, like really punching and all of that kind of stuff? It was um, so he kicked me, and then uh, he pushed me onto the floor while you were pregnant. Yes. How heavily pregnant were you? Seven months. Seven months. And where did he kick you? Um, he did not kick me in the stomach. Okay. Yeah, it was my, it was on my leg hmm. and he pushed me down. We had an argument. I don't obviously mean to, I don't want you to think about, obviously if it's memories probably that you've buried. I don't mean to, you know, cause it, I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, I know it's quite upsetting it's talking okay. about this. Um, yeah. but it's more I, mean, the, I, think, hmm. I think at that time when that happened, I knew it was from then something that was always in my mind. This is not right. Yeah. Well, I'm pregnant with this man's child. And the belief I had in my head was, if I leave, mm. then the commute is going to just like say, yeah. he's a intimate child and all this. Yeah. So for his sake, I stayed. But after yeah. Adil was born, it was happening more. He was doing things in front of Adil. He was forcing himself on me in front of Adil. What age uh, was your son at this time when he was forcing? So Adil was probably about six weeks. Oh, okay. Six weeks old and then eight months old. Mm. So... In the 40 days, he tried to force himself on me. Then um, other things happened. And then eight months Adil was, and he tried to force himself on me on the sofa, which is sexually raped me. Hmm. And my son, um, he could crawl. And I remember him trying to come onto the sofa to kind of like, you know, like tug on his, his jumper because yeah. he could tell his mom's distressed. Um, and then I found out he was cheating on me for, since Adil was born, my little boy. Uh, this is in 2017 now so um i think that was the last draw for me hmm. and i was still willing to forgive him but then he went to his family and told them all sorts of things and his family were telling me that there's someone in bangladesh the spiritual guy that is telling them i was beating him apparently oh they're these stupid so I, people seriously so i believed it because i wasn't talking to anyone so no one could tell me that i'm not wrong so i started and he said to me he would hit me and swear at me and everything because it's my fault so I started believing it's my fault. So I tried to be the dutiful wife. And then, mm. um, then obviously I tried to flee quite a few times, but every time he would find me, eventually um, I fled in 2018. My friend talked, she got in touch with me because she saw that I'm not on social media or anything. And so she said to me, you need to leave. This is dangerous. Because he tried to strangle me and kill me in 2017. I didn't call the police at that time, but I didn't press charges because I was scared like of his, how his family are going to be. And I was embarrassed for my family. Yeah. Um, so I didn't press charges. I wanted to, uh, but I didn't. Um, and then 2018, my mm. friend talked me around and I was worried about how am I going to look after my little boy? How am I going to live 
my family are not going to accept me. But exactly. anyway, I decided I'm going to leave because he would do things like spit in my face and my son would see me. And I, I realized he had no respect for me. How old, is your son, how old was your son then when he was like spitting on your face and stuff like that? 18 you... months. Dad, 18 okay. months. How old is your son now? He's now going to be four. Okay, so he's quite young still. So can I ask about um, his affair? How did you find out about the affair? And who was the girl? Was it someone at his workplace? Was it someone? Who, who was this person? Yeah, so the girl, um, she messaged me on uh, Facebook Messenger. And um, she's, uh, she's a Sikh girl. And it's someone that he knew at work. So he used to do night shifts. And that's how he's obviously... Yeah. As far as I know, that's how it happened. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't believe it at first, but then uh, she would keep sending me evidence. And um, anyway, um, you know, there was, and he kept lying and he told his family. Why was, he, why was she contacting you? Was it to, was it because their affair ended and she wanted you to know the truth or she wanted you to know, so you leave him? Or what was her motive yeah. behind telling you? So the motive was so that um, I find out on a leave because apparently he told her that we were separating from each other. Yeah. Uh, and she was wondering why she's still there if you're separating. So she wanted mm. me to leave. Um, but then um, he told his family the reason he cheated on me was because it's my fault because I've not been a good wife I don't mm. cook for him I don't um, please him in any way I'm not I'm just not a good wife so his mm. family started saying to me that it's my fault that he cheated on me so when I left in 2018 um, and he realized I'm not coming back uh, he ended up coming to my parents house and he was um, he just pushed in and he was pulling me out of the house and he was shouting and screaming I had to go to a refuge. When I went to the refuge, uh, that's when I applied for non-molestation order and prohibited steps order because him and his family were ringing all my friends and relatives and telling them they're going to take my little boy, kidnap him uh, uh, and take my little boy if I don't go back to him, that apparently I'm the one that's been abusing him. Hmm. We went to court. We went to court and last year in September, so it took 18 months in court and the case went in my favor so he's got no contact he said i abused him so i had 10 allegations all 10 allegations were found and the girl that he cheated with who told me that she uh who told me that he was cheating with her she was my witness because he was abusing her too he was abusing and her too like physically abusing her so he's an abusive person basically yeah abusive that's the way he is like he has no respect for women no respect for women. Um, so now, so then after that, when the case ended, I started to do volunteering. Um, obviously, I do suffer with mental health, PTSD, because of all the trauma. Yeah. I started volunteering, and then I wanted to help women that went through what I went through because I had a lot of hard time, like getting the police to listen to me. The GP didn't put things on the medical record. Um, I had to go to Women Against Rape, um, and then they told me to get in touch with MP. And someone like me, who's British born, got a law degree was finding it difficult getting through to these people. I thought, yeah. right, I need to help other women. And also yeah. like, um, so basically, um, yeah, so I started volunteering and going to women's groups. And then I started finding the old asthma because I used to work in the business banking sector. So I know about networking yeah. and things. Mm. So I did, uh, the first event I did was put as a public speaker. Mm. And I spoke about my, um, my story, but not like the gory details. It's like, okay, I'm a survivor of domestic abuse, but now, you know, you need to know that the community needs to know that they need to uh, protect victims from domestic abuse. You need to mm. watch out for the signs and that religion does not um, allow domestic abuse. Yeah. Religion actually uh, says that uh, if you're watching someone being oppressed, you should go and save them. And if you don't yeah. go and save them, you're actually a sinner yourself. Yeah. Um, so religion so for, does not. For yeah. the guys listening who um, especially are Muslim, who think it, who have abused their partner, 
or even their sisters or whoever, and they think it's, you know, it's their right because they're male. And I'm saying, um, and, and I say this with caution because I don't want people who are listening who are non-Muslim and thinking, oh, it's all Muslims now doing this. It's not all Muslims at all. It's the minority of people in every religion and every culture, but I'm talking about Islam because I'm Muslim. It is not allowed. And I can't imagine Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, physically or any way abusing his partners and the other in the wives that he's had and even his you know the family members his daughters and stuff like that so please don't think that's an excuse it's, it's a disgusting thing to use the, your physical power when you know you're physically more powerful than a woman is in terms of like you know the strength and all of that you know women can't really in that way um compete obviously we, we are strong in different ways we can give birth and you guys can't but that is just disgusting don't think you're going to get away with it because God's always looking, you know, for, the, for those of you guys who believe in God, God's always looking, plus you're living with yourself. So you know what you're doing. So you yeah. can pretend to be decent and nice in front of the world. But, but how are you able to live with yourself and sleep at night and even look in the mirror kind of thing? But, but you know what? It's great what you're doing. Like, obviously, it takes a lot of courage to come on and talk about it. And the reason why it's important and it's good that you touched on quite deeply about the uh, you know, the types of abuse that you've had is because for people listening who are maybe in a similar situation or who are not in a similar situation, they probably see other people and these signs. It's important to hear this stuff. I know a lot of people don't want to hear this and they want to shut themselves off. Um, and, and they think, you know, if they don't hear it, then they don't know about it. Then it's not going to happen. Yeah. They just want to ignore it because they don't want, they don't want to, in a way, their human side knows if they hear about something and they don't do something about it, that's actually quite bad. So they just don't want to hear about it because they don't want to get involved. And their excuse is, we don't want to get involved. Well, it's great. You don't want to get involved, but you don't know if this is going to happen to you later on down your life. You know, oh, this may happen to your sister or your this daughter. This might have happened already. This yeah. might have happened to them already because, um, but one of the things is with my soul sisters, my organization now that's a charity is that um, it's empowering women to realize that they can move on. And there is some, if they left or fled, um, then there is help out there. Like there's a girl that I was talking to for a few weeks, victims. Uh, she's got uh, two kids. She's now gone into a refuge eventually. Um, and, you know, the refuge helped with everything. Um, so you're not going to be just left alone. And now there's new things in place like social housing for perpetrators because it's that whole thing of why is it a victim needs to move out of her familiar or his. Victims can be him or her. Mm. Um, but men don't speak out a lot because of shame or because yeah. of the belief, because of social media, the way they were brought up or, mm. you know, like all that stuff. Um, but there is a lot of things out there that are trying to now make a bit of a difference. But victims need to know if, if you flee, there will be help for you afterwards. And uh, we will also be uh, available to signpost to the right organisations. And this girl that's in a refuge, like she was having trouble not getting the right mattress for the little child, a toddler. So because the organisation knew that we were soul sisters was helping her, um, I feel they know they were more helpful towards her. They bought her a car seat. Um, you know, they helped her with universal credit. We don't want to be on benefits. I was never on benefits until I got, when I went through all this. Hmm. But at the moment, it is what it is. I'm a single mom with my little boy. And, you know. Where, uh, are, you now? Where are you now? So are you renting? Are you with your family? Where are you? I'm in my own safe house. Um, yeah. The refuge found me this safe house. I'm in hiding. Yeah. Uh, in Rochdale, near Rochdale, I would say. Uh, the perpetrator's family do know Rochdale because my parents live there, so I don't mind saying Rochdale. Okay. Um, 
I did ca cancel all my social media when I fled, but I then when I started volunteering and started public speaking and raising awareness, um, networking and things, and now I have my own social media pages. Hmm. I'm constantly doing live streams. I do show my face publicly, hence why I'm doing this interview with you, but I don't show my son's pictures anywhere publicly. Yeah, I, I don't show my... On. I mean, yeah, on, on a different note, I don't show my children's picture anyway because of pedophiles and stuff like that because you don't know. Um, but I think it's good that you don't show your child's picture. No, I don't want to do it. that. Um, yeah. And he's a really lovely boy. And one of the reasons I left was because of him because um, my son watching that, I thought he's going to see that a man is supposed to control a woman um, and a woman's below a man. That's and not he's a good gonna, example. Yeah, and he's going to think you're not supposed to respect women. So, um, and he didn't know his real mum. The asthma that I used to be, he wasn't seeing that. And I thought, that's yeah. not fair. So one of the major, major steps I took was because of my son. And I'm so glad because he's such a kind, loving boy. Nursery say it, everyone, he's huggy. He's, um, you know, he's just a really happy, uh, yeah. very, you know, happy boy. He, and do you know what? It's good. It's good. What The move that you made is good because it impacts a child's mental development as well. Because had you stayed... Um, and, and like you're saying, your your child is so cheerful and everything like that. Potentially, that would not have been your child at this age had you been in no. that relationship because they get depressed. Children know. You think children don't know. I mean, I've got a three. My son's three and a half. My daughter's two and a half. So people would assume that they don't know what's going on, but they have a very good sense of when there's an argument happening, when there's something, when parents aren't getting on. They can tell. They can sense. You know, they understand more than we think. So I think it's really good what you've done. And it's obviously you know what, Lubna? highly they commendable. It. Mm. They can sense it from the time they're in, 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 your, in the womb. Child mm. can sense everything. And parents need to, and women or men, victims need to know this. If nothing else, take the step for you. Because some will say, oh, I should stay because the kids, they're going to be without a child. No, the child will grow to be a perpetrator. And then... Do you really, like I thought, do I really want to get, uh, grow, bring my son up with this perpetrator? And his dad was, his granddad was a perpetrator. Then he's going to marry another girl, poor girl like me, and he's going to abuse her. And I thought, mm. I'm not having that on my head. Yeah. I'm going to bring my son up to be respectable, respect human beings, and yeah. be a good, good person, a good Muslim. Yeah. And you'd rather and do that alone instead of having, I mean, my parents got divorced when I was very young. And I'm the youngest of four siblings. And I would say that the best thing that she could have done for me was get divorced when she did, because my brother and sisters um, have been impacted psychologically quite a lot because of the way whatever happened. And a lot of what you're saying, you know, um, well, you know, in terms of the domestic abuse and all of that, and there's other yeah. things obviously that happened in my family um, apart yeah. from that as well. But there, there is a slight difference between my brother and sisters and me because I didn't live through what they lived through. So when people, and since as a young age, when people have met me, they've always said, you know what, you're very different to your elder three, you know, that you're, like you're not part of this family, you're very different. It's because the guy, the women and the guys who are, who are in a bad relationship, who probably have children who are maybe staying in a bad relationship because of the children, they need to hear this, is the reason why I, I am different um, to my brother and sister is because my mom got a divorce and she didn't live with my father. And so I haven't actually, the fact that I'm a chartered accountant, and I'm even doing this kind of podcast, I wouldn't have even got this far had I been, I would say, psychologically disturbed. You know what yes. I mean? Obviously, everyone's got other, their own issues like depression, anxiety, all of that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about psychological, like, um, psychological. You know you're saying that your brothers and sisters went through, do you know that that's child abuse, you know, mm -hmm. now um, it is recognized under that uh, the word victim, kids are also victims. Mm. So just yeah, they because are. they are, so your uh, brothers and sisters, 
are classed as victims of abuse as well and they probably need um some sort of support yeah counseling or training to go to because um you have to deal with it and that's why i talk a lot about it now because the more you talk and mm -hmm. other victims that are reaching out to me that talk to me now um and the kind of help that I've we've been able to give them as a team they've said themselves that they, they're never going to shut up now they're going to keep yeah. talking but you know what the beautiful thing is that we're born in this great country and it is a real it is I would say in reality, when we say Great Britain, it is Great Britain. I mean, I'm extremely grateful myself that I'm born in UK because had we been born somewhere, the, let's be honest here, Bangladesh, Pakistan even, obviously depending on what household you're brought, in, brought up in, if you're coming from an affluent family or whatever, or, or a village, it, that does have an impact as well. But the fact is we're living in this beautiful country where none of this really matters. And the fact that if something bad does happen to you, you can overcome it. You know, we, the, Our government does support us and you will find more broad-minded people generally you know who yes. will stand up for you and stuff like that so i think it's amazing what you're doing is there anything in closing that you'd like to tell or say or anything that you want you to touch on but we didn't i just want to make sure that you've said everything that you know you feel um you know that you wanted to wanted to cover so the thing that i would like to say to everyone is um everyone families friends colleagues keep in touch with each other and try to notice if someone's changed a little bit or gone, uh, don't just think that they're busy in their lives. There must be, there might be something going on. So keep your eyes and ears open, try to help who you can. Just helping that one person might push them to help another person. Mm. And it's like a domino effect. Um, and yeah, maybe like when you're in touch with each other and you're not sure, or you know someone's a victim, uh, then have a code word in place. Um, and one thing I will say is, if you know someone's a victim, don't advise them to leave just like that. Try to get um, organizations like um, Refuge or Women's Aid or Respect someone who can just take a risk, a risk assessment with them and do a safety plan with them to leave because that's the most dangerous time. If you tell the perpetrator you're leaving them, there's a lot of homicide cases, uh, murder happens, and there has been a lot happening in the pandemic. Two, four children were killed when the victim, the mom said that she's leaving the perpetrator hmm. because they, they, they'd rather kill you than um, have you tell everyone about their, their perpetrator uh, behavior basically if you're going to leave leave don't tell the person and if you're telling the person maybe sometimes i guess the victims tell the person because they're hoping that will change the person's behavior and they won't need to leave but in all honesty someone who's done this they're going to do it again and again and again there may be a break in between but they're going to do it so you need to ask yourself the question do you want to put up with this and the fact is you only get one life that's a fact you get one life, whatever you want to do, you want to do here. And do you really want to spend your life, however long God has given you, with some fucking asshole is the question. You know, I would say keep your cup full. Whatever's in the cup is yours. Whatever flows out the cup is for others. If there's nothing flowing out the cup, there's nothing for you to give. You need to be happy yourself. And you there's need to be wrong with yourself. looking after yourself. And this whole community bullshit that happens, it really pisses me off because the community is worth is made up of 100, 200 people who don't give a shit about each other anyway. They're just going to talk. Just move. There's billions, of, going on in their lives. There's billions of people. Been... There's billions yeah. of people all around the world. Just move, locate, relocate somewhere. You know, I, I know it's, it's easier said than done, but it's doable. It's not impossible. And you can move country. You can, you can do, there's so many things you can do. So don't feel you're alone. But thank you so much, Asma, for coming. There's nothing else you want to add? No, so thank to make you sure that you're happy and you've said, you know, um, I know there's, there's more things that we could have spoken about. I'm just going yeah. to time. So hopefully you can come back another time and talk to us. But thank you so much, Asma. Thank you very much, Lugna, for this time. Thank you. Thank you. Hi all. So that was Asma who came um, and what a courageous lady, you know, it takes a lot of confidence and courage to 
do what she's done and get out of that kind of situation. And it is unfortunate. So, but what, before I talk about that, like I mentioned before um, in the beginning is that I'm quite disappointed with the minority of people who uh, are scared of talking about the, the, this, this topic and they kind of, they'd rather look at people's selfies and they'd rather look at kittens, you know, kitten videos and stuff like that. Um, my podcast is about positivity. You know, someone mentioned, oh, you know, celebrities, you're not a counselor. I never said I'm a counselor. This isn't about counseling. This is people coming who have experienced things, whether it's bulimia, whether it's failure in a business, whether it is domestic abuse, whether it is million of other things which we as humans experience this is about people who have overcome stuff or have experienced something to come on here to talk about taboo subjects so other people in a similar situation understand that they're not alone so this is an empowering podcast you know but the fact that a lot of i say a lot it's not a lot it's the minority of people are still ignorant and they w wish to remain ignorant and they just don't want to listen to this and they just want to listen to other rubbish um is quite disappointing so I hope you understand what Asma said, like look out for the signs and, you know, um, keep in touch with people that, you know, don't assume someone is busy or they even, even if they, even if they say they are busy, there may be something else. I'm not saying now start imagining stuff and start, you know, finding um, issues where there isn't an issue, but what I'm saying is keep your eyes and ears open. This does unfortunately happen in our culture. When I talk about our culture, um, this whole thing about community and honor is so much bullshit sometimes because a lot of people don't give a shit about you anyway. And this whole thing about, you know, if you're the groom side of the family, so you need, you deserve more fucking respect. No, you don't fucking deserve more respect just because you have a willy. You will get respect when you give respect and, and we're all equal kind of thing. And this whole bullshit, this really pisses me off big time as well. This whole mentality of the groom side of the family. And this other thing I want to say about you guys who, um, you guys need to man some of you guys out there who depend on your sisters and your mother man up okay man up stop trying to push your sisters to to talk to your wives and your partners and and get your mums involved or your mum said something and that's like the word and you know, your sister she's older than you and she needs to you know what I mean? a lot of these sisters not all of them not all the mothers i'm not saying all mother-in-laws and all sister-in-laws i'm saying some of them yeah they stir things up on purpose because they're jealous whether you guys like this or not whether you want to hear this about your mums and sisters or not some of them do want to stir things up some of them may be jealous of your partner have you thought of that? Some of them may just, maybe their husbands are controlling them and they don't want to see that freedom given to your, you don't know, your wife or whatever. You don't know what's going on. I'm not, again, I keep saying it's not everyone. I don't want people listening to this saying, oh, don't say this about my sister. Oh, my mother's amazing. Blah. I'm sure they are amazing, but there are a minority of women who just can't see other women be happy. Unfortunately, in our culture, there's this thing because they didn't get freedom. They don't want your wife to have freedom. They don't want your partner to have freedom. And, and this is just like a sad thing. I think the good thing about, I would say generally the white culture in UK is that I would say generally white women do encourage and support each other quite a lot. That is something we need to learn in our society and our culture. And, but this whole bullshit thing about your mother is right and your sister is right. And in all of this, look, there's going to be, you need to be sensible as men, that there's going to be petty arguments amongst women. That's just the nature. Women sometimes do that kind of stuff. Stop, don't start taking up on yourself to say one person's right and one person's wrong. You guys need to be the man and you need to, you, your role is to 
respect both your mother, your sister and your partner and, and manage that relationship. Don't think that they're just going to manage it by themselves. A lot of people can manage it, but some, but the role of the partner and the husband or whatever is very important as well. You know, you guys need to be the diplomatic ones. And unfortunately, some of this is lacking sometimes in the minority of individuals. Hopefully you guys have learned something from this podcast or have um, had food for thought. Please do think about what we've spoken about today. Yes, it's a taboo topic, but this is the reason why perpetrators, they take advantage of this, the fact that these are taboo topics because they know people aren't going to talk about it. The, re- the reason I'm even bothering, like I've said, to do a podcast is to talk about taboo, to, um, is to talk about taboo topics so they don't remain taboo so that where there are victims of anything, not just domestic abuse, sexual abuse, you know, victims of anything, fraud, gambling, whatever, whatever it is, um, jealousy or whatever, um, victims can start talking because when people start talking about it like on my podcast and everything people start talking so my podcast is not just about i have to repeat this this is season one my podcast is not just about domestic abuse or sexual abuse or any of these or the you know, these major topics and you guys are like i'm not going to listen to Lubna's podcast because that's all she talks about no every single episode is different every single week is different different people are coming different celebrities influencers people are all around the world are coming and obviously um but Candid with Lubna and talking about taboo topics will include topics like domestic abuse and sexual abuse. So stop being selfish. Listen to this and learn. Don't think you've got nothing to listen to and nothing to learn. I think this is probably the issue that um, where people think is nothing to do with them. It's everything to do with you because you don't realize how common this is. You probably think it hasn't happened to you yet or it's not going to happen to you or whatever. You don't know um, what is happening behind closed doors. And yes, a selfish part of you probably doesn't care. But the least you could do is actually listen to this podcast and just keep your eyes and ears open. Anyways, I get really passionate and that's why I'm doing this podcast. I keep saying that after the end of every podcast. Um, I'm extremely passionate about these things. And I could, you know, I could be really selfish and I could just post selfies of myself and I know that I'm going to get followers and likes. And I could just do that and talk about positive stuff and everything like that. And it'll be, you know, and this fake shit that people do just for followers and you guys, a lot of you guys fall into that trap. Or I could use the, the, the small platform that I've been given by going on, becoming on The Apprentice. Um, I could, I'm trying to use that for the good. Okay. The small number of followers that I have, I'm grateful for, but I'm trying to use the platform that I've had this opportunity to do something good, you know, and I'm trying to, I'm putting myself out there. I'm trying to talk about topics that people are scared of. I'm trying to bring people in that a lot of people probably don't listen to or don't want to listen to. And as I said, my podcast is about everything, business, life, any topic, all topics are open for discussion on my podcast, Candid with Lubna, Lubna Farhan. Please stay tuned for next time.